Hey team, welcome to The Offseason. The Offseason is an exploration of athletic health, recovery, and performance told through stories of athletes and their medical and training team. I hope you enjoy. Now for a quick but mandatory medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of naturopathic medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this material is at user's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they may have and should seek assistance from their trusted healthcare professional for any condition. This podcast does not speak on behalf of naturopathic medicine and does not represent the views of the profession as a whole. Guys, another episode of the off-season. Welcome. So today I have on Karen Furneau. She's an Olympic multi-time medalist, spring kayaker. She's a Hall of Famer and she's also an author. This girl does it all. Uh, we chat everything, how to make it to an Olympic stage, what that looks like, how much effort, time, and drive has to be associated with making it to the, the height of your athletic career. Um, we talk about what life is like now and writing books and kind of inspiring the masses to get to where they want to go. Um, this one was beautiful. She's so wonderful to talk to so I hope you guys enjoy. Hey Karen, welcome to the off season. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. Thanks so much. I'm excited to chat with you. Definitely. I've been saying for like the past uh, few guests here, it's it's just been so advantageous on my end to be able to you know have some time with such amazing people and um although all there's so many negatives of covid obviously this has been a highlight for me for sure how have you been dealing with uh, all the changes yeah it's definitely been uh, uh a world flipped upside down most definitely um yeah doing doing my best to stay busy and stay have you know periods of focus through the day um, where I can really immerse myself in, you know, being creative and moving my body, um, going for walks around my neighborhood and things like that. And then like the connections, uh, with friends and family for sure. But yeah, it's completely like no one could have planned for this. And I think it's, uh, it's an adjustment for all of us. I think we're, I know me, I'm starting to get used to it to, you know, I haven't, I don't think I've left my house other than to walk around the block in the boat. A month <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah. different times for sure definitely it's just a whole new world and each everyone um, has been so kind and just been asking me how I've been doing or I've been asking them and I just keep saying well it's an adventure like every day is just you know a new thing that comes up and you try to maneuver around it whether it be like financial or workout wise or um, nutrition wise like there's so many things that are kind of going into it hey Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm spending more time just kind of, yeah, planning out the little things, I guess, that I took for granted before and just kind of did things on the fly. Now I'm more immersed in cooking and planning and how do I get my food and, and stuff like that. Cause I, I, I didn't want to be making uh, numerous trips to the grocery store. So I've been really fortunate and I, I live close by to uh a local company that sources local food and so I've been getting my fruits and vegetables that way and and things like that so it's yeah just different things right to keep ourselves and our our loved ones safe at this time and and uh yeah it's definitely been a learning learning curve <laughs> yeah definitely and that you can take it one way or the other hey like just take it and roll with it or kind of get lost in it. And with everything that's been happening in Nova Scotia, especially it's, it's tough not to get lost in it, but um, yeah, just one day at a time, essentially. Hey. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think I did a pretty good job of that even before COVID mm -hmm. restrictions and things like that. But I think even more so now, like just taking the extra, extra awareness, extra time, you know, to, say hi to neighbors when I'm out for a walk and, and things like that. So I, I think it's, it's definitely uh, allowed me the, the pause to, um, yeah, appreciate the, how, how, you know, how we live our, our daily lives and, and the people we come in contact with. Yeah. Um, Karen, I know most of Nova Scotia probably knows you right off the bat, but do you want to kind of walk us through your athletic career? Ah, yeah, sure. Um, so thank you. <laughs> um, so I was, uh, and I 
I'm, I'm an athlete, uh, but I still consider myself an athlete, but uh, I was a competitive uh, sprint kayaker with the Canadian Olympic team for uh, about 20 years. Um, so I got to compete at three Olympic games and um, a number of different world championships all around the world. And uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's been, it was an amazing uh, opportunity to represent Canada. I'm wearing my red today actually to support um, the, uh, the horrific events in Nova Scotia last weekend and, and to support the RCMP and all of the, the victims and, and uh, you know, in tribute to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was always an honor for me to wear the red and to represent Canada and honor this amazing place that we all call home. And uh, yeah, kayaking for me, it was a way to move my body and, and be out in nature um, on the water. And, and uh, yeah, it's, I just loved it, loved connecting with the water and with, with, with nature as much as I can. Yeah, I, I did a little bit like way back in the day, nothing, nothing extravagant for canoe and kayaking, but there's something about being out there, hey, and just having the sun kind of beat down and it's, it's a good feeling for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of meditative. I, I, you know, you kind of get in tune with how your body is moving through space and through the water and on top being on top of the water is a very unique feeling as well you know, in a boat and, and moving that with your own power. So it's, yeah. it's pretty special. Yeah, it's a unique sport for sure. Um, I know like a lot of, you know, young athletes and we all aspire to go to the Olympics, right? Like it would be the highest achievement for most of us. Do you want to um, walk through what that experience was like for you? And I'm sure they're not all the same, but maybe some highlights from each one. Yeah, sure. Um so my first Olympic Games was in Sydney in the year 2000, and I would have been about 23, I think, at that time. And uh, I got to race the K2, so the double. Um, and my K2 partner and I, we were ranked uh, second in the world uh, going into that Olympic Games. So we were, you know, heavy medal favorites. And it, just as it turned out, it was a, a crazy wind on that day, a hurricane force wind, and you know, everyone was affected by that, but uh, I crossed the finish line in fifth place, which was actually my best Olympic performance. Um, but yeah, just the memory I have from that games is, is walking into the Olympic opening ceremonies and just feeling all of the crowd um, loving and supporting us. And they all had these flags and it was in Australia. So they had, um, the green and gold and then and then they had uh you know they, they they waved the gold side of the flags so when we walked in we immediately felt this kind of embrace from the crowd and it was a really truly special moment um that i'll always remember that feeling um and then uh, athens was my second games so very special you know the birthplace of the olympic games and got to experience some of the amazing um sites and monuments and um you know the uh the history of of athens and and the olympic movement and uh yes that was that was in 2004 and then my uh third olympic games was in beijing in 2008 and i from that uh games i remember that was my last games um uh i remember walking into the opening ceremony again and all of the youth that were there lining, um, lining the pathway that we would take to, you know, all of the, all of the nations were taking this one pathway to go into the, the bird's nest, the, the massive stadium in, in Beijing. And, and all the kids were holding hands and, you know, had flags and, and stuff like that. So it was really, really special. Um, that kind of stuff wasn't shown on TV. It was, you know, that was the stuff that we, we felt as athletes. So, the, you know, the Olympics has such an amazing way to, to bring everyone together and to celebrate sport and movement. And, and I love the Olympic movement. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a great, great experience. And, and I actually got to experience um, the Olympics uh, in Rio 
from the broadcast side. So I did some color commentary and I, I will be doing it. I, I just signed my contract for Tokyo um, with CBC. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. So that's for next summer. Um, that's uh, not super public. So I don't know if I was supposed to share that. But anyway, <laughs> there. <laughs> um, I don't know if a lot of people listen to this podcast, but the few that do will get uh, inside scoop. <laughs> but the uh, yeah, so being on the other side was really cool. Um, being able to share the stories of, of the athletes, not only from Canada, from, but from all the different countries and, and be able to also share my love for the sport with, with the, the CBC um, listeners and, and community and, and being part of that team was really special too for me in Rio. And I am looking forward to be part of that team also in, in Tokyo um, when, that, when that games do, does eventually happen. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's my experiences that I can briefly recall. Definitely. Yeah, there's probably so many memories that, you know, would come back at a dinner party or like the stimulation of a question could, you know, bring back a memory. But um, when you were done, did you know you were done? Like, did you know that would be your last Olympics? No, um, I was actually planning to continue. And I, I actually trained um, and competed at the Olympic trials in, in 2012. Um, and I, I didn't make that team, uh, but I was, uh, I took a year. Um, so I, I, I say that retirement for me, that sport transition phase was hard, uh, for me. And it was actually so hard that I had to do it twice. <laughs> um, I wasn't sure, uh, when I took that break the first time in, in 2010, I took some time away from, a competition and just decided to train on my own and uh, and I was living in the US at the time and if you remember that the, the Vancouver Olympics was um, on at the time and although it wasn't the same broadcast that I was receiving in in New York um, I was very drawn to the stories of the Canadian athletes um, and so that kind of brought back that passion to to try again and, and to compete uh, try and compete in 2012. I actually made it back to the world championships in 2011. Um, and then I, it, and I had sustained my second of two disc hernias at the end of that season. So uh, yeah, low back, uh, I was in a lot of pain. Um, so in 2012, with managing that injury um, and through all of that, having not made the Olympic team, I decided to retire. So I, I knew at the conclusion of that one race at the Olympic trials that I, that I was done. And I, I shared that, you know, I shared some tears and some hugs with my teammates and competitors on the, on the dock. And I think, you know, at that time they probably thought I was being super dramatic. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew at that time I had to say goodbye to them in that way. And, and, you know, just wish them well and, and stuff in their pursuits to, for their olympic hopes too yeah sport injuries are devastating in so many respects and um i think even you know coming back from one and keeping going and then sustaining another would be really hard on the headspace what was that experience like for you yeah it was definitely tough but i i kind of look at it as you know i and the first one was probably more scary than the second um basically because i didn't know how how recovery was going to go, how training was going to go, if I was causing any more damage and things like that. And, and um, you know, I had you know, all sorts of medical uh, treatments and things like that to help manage the pain. And, uh, you know, I had some nerve blocks and things like that. And that stuff is a little bit scary to me. Um, you know, I didn't want to hurt myself long term and, and, and things such as that. So, yeah, it was... Uh, for me, just managing and learning to train in a different way. Um, I think it was actually a gift. And, you know, for me, I, uh, as an athlete, I was the type of athlete who would just go 110% um, all the time. And I think, you know, that, that could have been one of my, my downfalls and maybe why I got hurt. But it's, you know, I learned that, you know, too much isn't oh it's not the best thing for your body or your mind and and learning how to 
take rest and, and, and recovery as seriously as the actual physical training. Um, I think that was a big lesson for me, learning the importance of, of um, strengthening my core in, in, a, in a really helpful way um, as well. Uh, I think to support my, myself and my back injuries and my experience through that, um, I think it was also a gift uh, you know, to, to learn that because I, I, I trained um, very differently, but I, I, I really believe I trained more effectively. Yeah, I love hearing you say that because it's something that I talk about a lot with athletes and, and just focusing on the recovery piece to make you even a better athlete. Sometimes the recovery is, you know, everything to your game and um, walking people through a little bit what recovery might mean to you. Would you be able to do that for us? Yeah, so for me, um, I learned very early on in my career that I had to spend time in recovery, you know, recovery from training. Um, so I would bring body rolling balls. I found they were the easiest for me because I could deflate them and inflate them. I'd bring a little bicycle pump everywhere I went. Um, and that ball came with me in my training bag, in my suitcase. Um, and uh, yeah, I would just roll. Um, so kind of that self-massage, helping to alleviate tension and stress in my body because I Although, you know, at big competitions and, and kind of formal training camps, we would have access to massage um, treatments and things like that, but it, it wasn't daily. And, and I needed to be making that effort um, in the recovery piece of my training daily. And I think that's, that's a big message for athletes, you know, and it's one that's often overlooked is the importance of that, that recovery piece and, and moving moving that energy and tension through your body um, and, and being able to process um, the effect of the training and, and things like that. So body rolling for me was a huge one. Um, I wasn't a fan of, of ice baths and hot cold showers. I did them when I needed to, but it wasn't my go-to. Um, stretching and warm-ups, like for me, warming up was, was really important. I spent a lot of time focusing on proper um, and complete warm-ups making sure I was dressed warmly a lot I see a lot of young athletes these days not wearing enough clothing um, and especially in our sport where your body is wet and you know you're facing waves and wind the the elements I think um, you need to wear layers and and multiple kind of pieces of clothing to kind of help keep your body insulated and warm. And I think for me as a sprint athlete, it was even more important. So sprinting, um, you need that body to be, you know, warm and supple. And, and if you're at all cold, there's, there is that extra risk that you can, you can injure a part of your body. So I think, yeah, learning that early on, you know, that it wasn't, you know, you didn't have to, you know, it's not a fashion show. You need to, you need to be wearing the, the appropriate clothing and, and taking care of your body and, and changing out of those clothes. And health was a big thing for me. So that recovery piece um, allowed that, you know, just, just my, you know, my central nervous system to take that little rest, that pause. Um, so I would, consciously you know practice uh, breathing um, to lower my breathing rate and heart rate and and try to kind of relax um, I found the closer and the more stress that I had the closer I came to races uh, the more I had to do that um, just to kind of make sure I was taking care of my my nervous system as well as my body and I think that's that's a huge part um, too, that's again, overlooked, you know, we think about pushing weight and running sprints and doing reps and, and doing the sets and getting it all in. And there's a lot on the training schedule, but what's not written in there all the time is that restorative piece. And I, I think that's a, a big, big piece, especially for older athletes, but learning that skill young, I think is, is a really important Important. Yeah, definitely. You're preaching to the choir on that one for sure. And that was, I love that you 
talk so sports specific in that respect, like staying warm and ready for your race. And each individual sport has these little tweaks that you can make that really talk about uh, or really talk towards optimization, you know? And I think, um, you know, listen to the people who have done this before for any young athlete listening, like there's tricks of the trade that you can definitely adopt to improve your game and um, studying those who have done it and have come before you is so key in a lot of that. Um, I'm glad you mentioned rest. I'm very curious how you slept the night before an Olympic event. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I, I don't remember many nights not being able to sleep. Like I, for me, I've always been a really good, good sleeper and I sleep a long time. So I, I still to this day, I try to get nine, not over nine hours of sleep. Um, it's, uh, yeah, for me, it's more about that practice of, you know, resting my body, sleeping, getting the breathing, you know, just kind of before I would go to sleep, I would try to, you know, empty my thoughts and just focus on my breath and feel what that feels like in my body. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's kind of relaxing for me. Um, so yeah, it's, and it's not to say that I didn't wake up in the night, I still um, have nights where I, I do wake up, but it's, it's not like I feel stress when I'm awake. It's more that I, I know that I'm still resting, even though I'm not sleeping. Um, so trying not to, I guess, you know, when that did happen, if I was racing and especially the night before big, big races. Yeah. I, I honestly can't recall not sleeping. Like I remember some mornings waking up and going, oh, that was, yeah, that was a good sleep. Like it was, it was a normal thing for me to have that good sleep. But I think it goes back to, again, those practices of, of relaxing my body and learning how to relax my mind as well as, as my body. Yeah, I love that. Um, throughout my career, there wasn't a lot of... Um additional education on those pieces of breath work and visualization and meditation. Um, is that something you just inherently knew you had to do or was it trained? Um, so I grew up uh, with asthma. So I, I actually learned how to, I guess, kind of manage those attacks. Because when I was very young, like in my you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old kind of thing, I would wake up in the night and I would be gasping for breath and I would it was like not a serious asthma attack in the sense that I had to go to hospital I could manage it um, but I think at that time in my life I started to learn um, how to breathe and how to settle myself down if that happened during the night so awareness of breath was always really really important to me and really helpful for me um, and I still use those techniques today. It's, you know, uh, in the work that I do, uh, I get to speak with a number of pretty large audiences. And that was something that scared me um, as, as a kid, as a, as a teenager. Um, and breathing through those presentations um, before that, that, those moments is the same kind of techniques I used on the start lines. And I think that that for sure was helpful for me, but I, I don't know if anyone really taught me that. I definitely delved into it more and researched it more through my career, but I think I, um, I learned that very young um, in, you know, in managing my breathing. Yeah, that's a key experience for sure. And I think um, sometimes when I mention breath work and visualization, it still comes at like a woo-woo type of feel for a lot of athletes, but it's so important. And even we see in research now how uh, much of a game changer it can be. For visualization, has that been your experience as well? Um, yeah, I think for me, visualization, I was, I was always a very imaginative kid. So mm -hmm. I, I could picture things and I could pretend um, very well. And I think that transferred really nicely to my sport career is a skill, um, you know, to see in your mind's eyes is that act of visualization that I think making it as real as you can, um, for me was really helpful. But um, yeah, I would, I would pick key moments, like I wouldn't try and visualize an entire race. Um, I would visualize, but then I would like, so I would see myself um, as if I'm seeing myself through my own eyes. 
but then I would try and feel. Um, and I think that was the key piece. So trying to imagine and feel in my body exactly what I was going through. So that, that for me was the more real thing than just the image and the screenplay and the, you know, the video loop. Um, I think that actually putting myself in the scenario where I could feel, um, specific parts of, of my technique, that, like things that I was working on or parts of the race or, or how I would feel with my crewmates and how that connection uh, between ourselves could happen. Like actually, um, and I can't really put it into words as to how I did that, but I think transferring the imaging to that feeling piece was a really key skill. Kind of using all the senses for a full body experience a little bit, hey? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just immersing myself in the moment, but then then letting it go. Like I think, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time as athletes training um, hours, right? Hours in our week. And I think there is a point where we just, we need to put it away and do something else, do a puzzle, mm -hmm. do a drawing or write in a journal or watch a movie or or something like that. And I think that that part, that mental break, I think is key uh, because we can do too much. And just like physical burnout, there's that mental burnout too. So I think, uh, yeah, having a plan as to what you're going to do with spare time, right? Mm -hmm. Like right now is that perfect example of that. How are we going to spend time? Because Literally, we, ha we don't have a whole lot to do right now, right? There's, you know, things are on pause and they're on pause purposefully and for good reason. So I think having that plan of outlets, like how we're going to be creative, how we're going to, how we're going to just, you know, spend, spend some time and, and, and yeah, I think those, those pieces are, are really important. Yeah, I would agree 100%. And, and even that planning piece of things like, um, not to be overly restrictive with your life, but have a game plan for the day can make can make or break you, you know, and if you get up and have something to do versus just kind of getting lost in the emotions of the day, it's it can make a really big difference. For sure. But then also having the flexibility, right? Like it's like, I'm a big planner, and I, I'm very, you know, scheduled. If you look at my schedule, it's all all laid out. But I also know and, and I've learned that those plans can change and, and they need to be able to be flexible. Certain things are, I try to stay pretty uh, concretely in that plan. Um, but yeah, things, things have to be able to shift as well. I think it'd be really interesting to um, maybe walk through like some of what your training would look like leading up to the Olympics, just that balance of things. And um, oftentimes we dream of going to the Olympics, but maybe don't always understand um, how much work goes into it. Um, do you have any thoughts or want to speak on that at all? Sure. Yeah, I could take you through like a, a day. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah um, so I would, you know, we would train at uh, usually 7 or 7.15 in the morning. Um, so I would get up at about six o'clock. Um, I would do, you know, I would have some breakfast and and do some rolling and get myself ready for that practice. And I would often have, you know, TV on or something like that just to relax. And, um, uh, yeah, I would practice some yoga, um, do that body rolling, um, and then have, you know, I, I would have some water and, and things like that to kind of hydrate before that workout. I would make a training drink. I always put, a sport drink together uh, before I would go out on the water. So that um, included, you know, water and then some protein powder or some uh, branch chains. And as I got older and, and things like that, so amino acids, but having, having that was kind of like my precursor to the routine. So I knew I was getting ready to go out and train when I would prepare that drink. And that's a little tactic I use today too. So it's, it, it's a good habit, like kind of jump starts that oh, I'm getting into the training mode. And then, um, so I would go to the, the I would go to the, the boat or the boat bay uh, or the club where uh, a, a good half hour 
Um, usually before we would go out on the water. So getting there nice and early so I could, could do that physical warm up um, uh, both on the land and on the water. And then, yeah, I would just prepare my boat, you know, check the steering and, and make sure all everything was moving as it should be. And, and I would get ready to go out on the water. Um, and then we would usually warm up for a good 20 minutes um, on our own and then come together as a training group, uh, we would spend about an hour in, in work, like start to finish. And that could look like, you know, if it was an aerobic session or train or technical session, maybe it was, um, a speed endurance session. So you warm up based on what you're going to be doing. Uh, and then come off the water stretch again, um, put my boat away, clean my boat or wipe it down. And then I would go back and have some food and jump in the shower and have uh, a, another rolling, like, so that'd be my snack. Then we would go to the gym um, and uh, do about an hour in the gym of uh, group work or, or uh, individual work. It, it kind of varied, but we, would, we wouldn't do that every day. We would do gym three times a week or running uh, on the other days, so track track running or longer distance running depending on the time of year and uh and then come back have lunch uh and lots of water um i would always have a nap in the day so after lunch i would you know i would watch a little bit of tv maybe and i would have uh, about an hour of a nap um I'd wake up have a snack it's a lot of food <laughs> i like that good another snack to you know get ready to go out on the water again and and uh usually by that point i'm pretty warm so i don't spend a lot of time in warm up in the um third session of the day <laughs> <laughs> and then um so doing you know the appropriate warm up for sure but then going out on that on that second uh time out on the water and then coming back and again same kind of routine food or prepare supper or snack and then shower. And then usually it was quiet nights, um, you know, usually in bed by 9, 30, 10 o'clock at the latest and do the whole thing again. So it's, yeah, a lot of, lot of, lot of time, like a lot of, a lot of time in physical training. And sometimes I'd have a, you know, a medical appointment here or there in the day as well. So, you know, managing that and, and making time for that as well be chiropractic or or massage uh, therapy or, or things like that so yeah always always making sure to be fairly scheduled but um yeah it was a lot of work about five hours a day of actual physical work and then the time off was you know spent preparing food or resting or relaxing i guess yeah, it's it's so wild. And I love like how detailed you went through that because I think um, it's lost on a lot of people, the dedication to the sport, you know, and we, we get to see the end results and we get to see, you know, standing on podiums or, you know, Stanley Cup finals, but to know the day in and day out process is unbelievable. And I'm also glad you mentioned how much food you eat because a lot of the young athletes I see are not eating near enough food. And, you know, that's just waiting for the relative energy expenditure in sport or not enough food and and the consequences of that are wild right so um i'm glad you talked about how much food you're consuming absolutely and again to kind of emphasize that piece um i ate a lot of carbohydrates uh you know because that's that's our primary fuel and Mm -hmm. and it's our you know, we needed, uh, or I needed at that time, I don't need eat as much carbohydrate, like in terms of, you know, sugars and, and breads and things like that nowadays. But when I was competing, I needed to be concerned, consuming those extra, those calories. Um, and, and, uh, and having that fuel at the ready, that's the fast sugar, um, that our bodies can immediately use. And, and for our sport, you need, you know, good building blocks, fat, fiber, carbohydrates, protein, you know, all of those things. And I tried to kind of learn about that as I got older. Um, but 
yeah, it's making sure that those building blocks were part of my meals, definitely. Um, and, you know, two of those maybe would be part of a snack. Yeah, that's so key. And um, it used to be called female athlete triad of not getting enough food or uh, energy to meet your energy needs, essentially. And then now they've changed it to relative energy deficiency in sport to include male athletes as well. Um, so I think the consequences of that when I speak about it is, is hormonal consequences long-term, you know, bone health can deteriorate, uh, mental health can deteriorate and your performance is certainly going to go down. So um, you highlighting that is just so important. I would say um, moving through sport and after your kind of um, Olympic career was over, you kind of spoke to the, a little bit of the challenges there, but I know you've probably gained so much skill and knowledge from your sport. What kind of has translated into your work now? Um, I think for sure, uh, I, you know, what I've kept definitely is that, um, I guess that commitment and that passion really to, to fuel my body well. So that means taking care um, to feed, feed it really well, to rest it really well, to fuel good thoughts, good, um, you know, things like that. Um, to just notice, uh, I think is, is a really important thing that I take forward from my career to now. Um, and now in the work that I do with, you know, organizations and youth that I speak with, um, I have to be performing. I have to be on top of my game just as I was, uh, expected to be when I was an athlete. So, and, and I also believe that when we take care of ourselves, we can do our best work um, for, for not only for ourselves, but for others uh, that we're serving as well. So that piece has kind of resonated and, and stayed with me. Um, and I feel better <laughs> just, just taking care of myself and knowing that I am. Um, yeah, I think that piece for sure uh, I still uh, move my body every day. I try to work out in the gym. I have a little setup at home, which I've always had. It wasn't a COVID-inspired thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, just having that piece of that routine, you know, moving, movement for me has always been an enjoyment. Um, I take, you know, great pleasure in learning uh, different movements and kind of challenging my body in different ways that are, that are safe, um, mm. but, but that, you know, make sense for me and, and ex excite me and, and things like that. So making sure that I, that I take the time to, to do that. Um, but also honoring, um, when I need to rest and, and that can be a mental rest or a physical rest for sure. Um, I think that that all came from that knowledge built as an athlete, um, but it's it's very true today as it was when I was competing. Yeah, that's huge. And those are lessons that you can kind of take with you forever, for sure. Um, I know my transition out of sport, like I literally was told what to do all day, every day, where to be, what time to be. And um, moving out of that, I found it really difficult to like start to search for who I was and what I wanted to do. Did you experience any of that? Um, I did for sure. Like I missed, you know, I missed having my coach tremendously. He and I, Chum, Chum and I had a great, well, we still do, but had a great coach-athlete relationship. Um, and I missed my training partners, you know, people that I would meet up with to go and practice and, and do that sport. Uh, so I did miss that piece for sure. Um, but I, I kind of found uh, myself, you know, oftentimes, even back when I was training full-time, I would kind of look to, you know, what can I be doing on my own? Um, that, you know, a little bit of a break from the team. So I would take those little moments in the gym and I would do my own workout or I would try to build my own program. So that was, you know, at the same time as building that, that skill set, uh, which I think is really, you know, serves me now um, to know how to construct something that I could call a workout, you know, and, and lean on. And, and uh, you know, I still look online for different inspiration and different ideas to kind of program um, and things like that. But yeah, having that, um, yeah, having that group to go to for sure for me and that time of time of transition and, 
and that coach piece as well as, you know, I was pretty self-motivated. Um, no one really had to tell me um, when I had to do, you know, certain things, but it was, it, we were like you very scheduled um, mm -hmm. in our training. Yeah. I feel like the biggest difficulty I had was cutting down on the amount of food that I was eating for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I didn't need the, the, you know, second helping of spaghetti um, yeah. after, after I was done for sure. But I, yeah, I loved pasta and I still love pasta, but I'm, I'm actually now eating a gluten-free diet. So I, I've learned for me that, um, yeah, it's, it, I feel much better that way. Uh, than, and I, I mean, that came from some, some gut health uh, kind of stuff that I learned along you know, the past three years, really. Um, so that's new since my retirement. You know, I ate pounds of pasta and, and all that stuff growing up and bread and sandwiches. And I still eat that, but just in a, in a gluten-free version now. Do you think looking back, like you would have been gluten-free as an athlete too? Do you think that would have changed your game or helped anything? Um, I don't think so. Um, so the, you know, kind of what inspired me to to delve into that a little bit more in the past three years was some, some digestive issues and have, and learning through that. But also, you know, as an athlete, I, I did have a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of mucus and phlegm when I would train and I was, you know, I was always kind of coughing and getting stuff up and, and uh, sounds disgusting, but maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe gluten was one of the things, but I, that was unheard of back then. And, and, Really, I wasn't having any any other symptoms um, of that until I I retired and had you know some tests done and things like that. So yeah, it's, uh, we have to pay attention to how our body processes food and kind of the the after effects of that. Um, and I think the uh, you know we are very sensitive beings, but we're also very resilient. Um, so we learn how to adapt to foods. Um, so maybe over time I developed that kind of sensitivity. It's not an allergy, but it is definitely sensitivity and yeah, kind of discovering that and, uh, you know, cut out some different things as well. So, you know, I, I don't eat, um, a lot of dairy, uh, although when I was training, I would first thing I would do after coming off the water would be drink a glass of cold milk. I don't know why that was my go-to thing, but it was the most delicious, satisfying um, thing I could do um, that was quick, uh, that would help me kind of bridge that gap from when I was going to make dinner um, from when I came off the water. So, you know, things like that. But I, I you know, again, with the digestive stuff, I don't drink a lot of, um, of uh, cat cow's milk anymore um yeah just you know little changes yeah and as you said to check in with your body is so massive i think there's so many as due to our resilience there's so many symptoms that we just leave by the wayside and say like oh well like it's not really impeding anything but then that optimization piece always comes in how good could you feel how good could you perform if all of those little things were taken care of right yeah absolutely yeah yeah um, so transition out of sport, then you wrote a book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I can't believe it's been over two years now. Um, yeah, that was a really, um, therapeutic, almost cathartic, um, process for me to write strong beauty. Um, yeah, I wanted to write it just to a kind of get my feelings down on paper and well, paper computer, <laughs> <laughs> But, but a lot of written as well, handwritten. Um, yeah, and, and I wanted to help younger athletes to 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 navigate um, stress and and you know the their experiences through sport, but also that experience of transition and learning how to be present um, with ourselves through through that journey for sure. Yeah, it's uh, fun. Fun. It's. Uh, it's neat. I never thought of myself as a writer, but I always did keep a journal, a training journal when I was an athlete. So it was kind of a natural, I knew how to do it. I knew how to, how to write, but I guess putting it into some kind of an architecture for me was brand new. Yeah. And it's, I bet that was an amazing experience um, based on kind of people's reaction to the book. Was it what you had hoped? Was it, um, 
like are your goals kind of being accomplished with the book yeah it's it's uh i mean i never intended it for for it to be a bestseller um but it's uh yeah it's it's getting into the hands of many young athletes and different organizations you know when when i speak to groups um they often buy copies of the book either to give away as prizes or to um, give as to members in their audience uh, as part of their team. So that's a really nice, uh, uh, I guess, just, yeah, it's a nice feeling to know that that book is, is helping people. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty special for sure. Yeah, it certainly is. And it's such an accomplishment too. I definitely recommend it to a lot of the, the younger athletes that come in my door as well, just because that experience piece is invaluable, right? There's there's nothing that's going to make up for that. And you could, until you do it or until you're there, the lessons that come from it or the experience that you can pass down is just invaluable for sure. Wow. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, tell us about I Promise Performance. Yeah, so I promise performance this year in June will be 10 years old. Whoa. I can't believe it. I know it's, uh, it's crazy, uh, but it's, I started the company um, uh, in 2010, and it was uh, with the intention to help different organizations um, with their health and wellness and, and kind of helping them through that um, at the time. Health and wellness was kind of this brand new idea, still edging its way into kind of normalcy, I think, in Nova Scotia, but uh, yep. helping, helping organizations with that conversation and, and programming as well to, to help them just understand and, and, and have that, that piece be really part of their daily practice and part of their, their performance, right, as an organization. So, yeah, it started off as uh, running different different boot camp sessions for different companies and things like that, and then from there it evolved to working within the organizations um, to help program and run challenges and things like that. Um, and then more, more and more, it's been about speaking and connecting to to youth um, and and different organizations around the Atlantic provinces mostly. Yeah, that's so awesome. I find like on the organiza- organizational front, a lot of the things that I see is um, that bigger, faster, stronger, more is always better mentality. And what kind of values are you kind of bringing to the table or to educate on that have made the biggest difference for organizations? Yeah, I think um, for sure the values that I'm that I'm bringing through is my um, my commitment to being a leader, like being present uh, and being, and using that presence as part of my leadership. Uh, I think it's really important to be uh, in the present moment, both with whatever you're experiencing and, and, and then serving your organization from that place. So making sure that you're, you know, looked at, well looked after physically, mentally, and, and moving in that direction as a first step, you know, kind of taking that oxygen mask approach where we need to feed ourselves and, and, and keep ourselves safe and healthy first before we can serve someone else. Um, I think, and that's, uh, that's, I think one of the the values that I'm bringing, uh, to that piece. And it's a, it's a reminder, you know, it's, you know, we do all always in, in my sessions, we do a breathing, exercise and a pause um and i'm kind of blown away at the times that people say wow like that felt really good and i don't do that like it's you know it's just shocking to me that that's um that that's how you know people forget about that part but it's you know it's one of the most simple things that we can do to to help ourselves and support ourselves in that present moment is you know anchoring into that breath and and using that for more information or more of an invitation to to dive in a bit deeper or to just you know be with where we are and 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 manage manage our emotions that way 
Yeah, I love that so much. And even if we think about a sigh, we sigh under pressure, right? Or when things get really stressful, so our body's almost trying to do it for us or trying to educate us on it's time to breathe, right? Um, so I think that's so powerful. And that's something that I talk a lot about uh, to patients as well, just taking a second to breathe. And they feel, as you said, you're shocked that it's such a small intervention, but makes such a large difference, hey? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the other piece too, that I bring to organizations that I'm also shocked that isn't part of their practice. I, I really believe it will be now, especially after, you know, our COVID experience and times, I think just holding that appreciation um, for ourselves and for each other. Right. So at all times we have access to that wisdom that's within us, but also all around us. And I think, uh, making sure that we really share that appreciation, um, whether that be through, you know, that self-talk or the, the, the voice, the voice that we share with our own self or the voice that we share with others, um, holding that space of appreciation and honoring wisdom, like that, that collective wisdom. Yeah, that's so awesome and, and so important for that organizational teamwork too, right? And just both coming from athletes, we always see the importance of if one member on the team is down, your whole team is down, you know? And someone once told me, if you're really angry, if you're really frustrated with someone, to look at them as like a child almost. And you, can, you can't stay mad, right? Because we're all just coming from this place of trying to learn and trying to be better for the most part. Um, I'm finishing most of the podcasts on a question for... Um, the guests and for you potentially it would be like what would be one piece of advice for like a young female athlete coming up the ranks like what would be something that you would want to tell them um piece of advice huh advice let me think (laughs) uh I guess just just you know I mean it, it sounds so cliche but have fun like it's it's you know it is a lot of training and a lot of work if you want to make you know, a professional sport goal as part of your process, but it's, it's always important to check back in and have fun. Um, make sure that you're still engaged with that goal because it's, it is, and that, I think that holds true for whatever we're doing. Is it meaningful? Is it, is it fun? Is it providing you with some level of joy and satisfaction? Are you still resonating with your goals? Like, checking in with that but I think for the very young uh female athletes I think it's yeah have fun it's not about um planning and process and practice and all of that stuff I mean it is but it's it's about experiencing and having fun and taking part and learning all of those you know those pieces that you that you learn when you're part of sport I think I think that would be my my advice, I guess, if I could offer that. Yeah, it's so important. And I hope uh, parents are listening to that one too. It's it's about fun when they're young and it's about diversity of sport. It's not about driving them into the ground to the point where they don't enjoy going anymore, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Fun factor. Yeah, exactly. Well, Karen, thanks so much for your time. I know this is a, a crazy time in the world and I'm sure you have other meetings to get to, but I really appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing some knowledge with us and spending some time with us. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Nicole.